Let us turn to the Scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, reading verses 18 through 25, a very familiar text about the power of the cross of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 at verse 18, hear God's Word. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength." In the central core of the sun, nuclear reactions are constantly taking place. Hydrogen is converted to helium, and energy is released, just like any 11th or 12th grade chemistry student could probably tell you if you asked them about it. It is as, it's as if nuclear bombs are continually exploding in the interior of the sun, and at this central core, the temperature reaches... 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. Hard to comprehend that amount of heat, isn't it? What power there is in the sun, and we can even feel the power here on earth 93 million miles away, and it's a good thing that the sun is shining and that's going on because what a bad condition we would be in without the warmth and light of the sun. But even more powerful than the sun in our solar system, our solar system, is the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, the power, we might say, of the Son of God. And this morning, I would like to consider this different type of power, different than physical power that we normally think about, the power of Jesus Christ and His cross and His resurrection from the dead. And the question I want us to focus our attention on is, have you come to understand and experience the power of the cross of Jesus Christ in your life, the power of His death and resurrection on behalf of sinners like you and me. And so, I'd like us to think about how is the cross the power of God? And then secondly, our other main point is how to enter into that and how to experience that power. But first of all, how is the cross the power of God? Our text talks about the fact that it is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. In verse 18, we read that, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And later on, we find again that, that through the foolishness of what was preached, verse 21, to save those who believe. That word salvation is used both times. And salvation means being delivered, being rescued. And Essentially, God rescues us through the power of the cross of Christ in two ways. 
He rescues us. He delivers us from the penalty of sin, and He delivers us from the continuing rule or dominion of sin in our lives. And I'd like us to think briefly about those two aspects under this first main point. First of all, deliverance from the penalty of sin. On the cross, Jesus Christ experienced the just punishment for sin in our place. Now, to most of us, that's a pretty familiar truth, but it's one that's of vital importance. When you think about the character of God, God's character is holy. He is perfectly righteous, and so it is necessary for God to punish all sin. Someone might think, well, why can't I just be sorry for my sin and God forgive me of my sin without any reference to what Jesus did on the cross? In other words, we might even be asking in that sense, why was it necessary for Jesus to come and to die this terrible death on the cross? Why couldn't God just forgive everybody if He's a loving God? Well, it's because God is not only loving, but He is also supremely just, and His character does not allow for Him to stand injustice or sin or unrighteousness. And so, this wonderful truth of Jesus experiencing the penalty for sin on the cross and rising again as the vindication of His triumph over sin and over death. And so, as a result, for those who believe, the text is saying, we are saved. We experience deliverance from the penalty of sin, and now we enjoy fellowship with the living God. We enjoy communion with Him. And so, I ask, do you really understand why you need that kind of power? Do you really see the seriousness of your sin so that you need the power of the cross? It's almost like saying to a child, do you understand why we need the sun? And a child, four-year-old child might say, well, it would be nice to have it be night for an extra long time or, you know, wouldn't that be fun? Not really understanding at all the dire ramifications if the sun would go out. So it is. It's possible to not really grasp the seriousness of our sin and our need for Jesus Christ. But not only is there this penalty of sin, there's the ongoing need for the rule and dominion of sin being broken. In other words, because of the power of the cross, Christians are increasingly set free from the rule of sin in our lives. When we come to believe in Christ, there's a decisive change that God brings about in our hearts, a decisive break with sin. And then for the rest of our earthly experience, there's the outworking of that as we increasingly are conformed to the likeness of Christ by the power of the Spirit. You and I, when we think about our lives, tend to think about wishing that we could change our circumstances or wishing that we could change other people in our lives that bother us. And what God intends is to use all of these things and the work of His Spirit through His Word to change us, to make us more like Christ. You see, He's breaking the power of sin. He's done it decisively initially when we come to Christ, and then He's continuing to work that out in our lives. And it's through and only through the power of Jesus Christ and His life on our behalf, His death on our behalf, and His resurrection from the dead. That is power, the power of the cross, that the fundamental nature of a human being and our fundamental nature in and of ourselves is a self-orientation. 
we are naturally selfish. It might not show up in really terrible, awful ways in terms of the way we think about things, but we just go about our lives. We see to the things that we need. We do the things that we want to do, and fundamentally, we're doing it for ourselves. And so, Jesus comes, and He speaks to us through His Word, and He calls us to Himself, and part of being saved is this power of sin broken, and it produces in us a new orientation so that 2 Corinthians 5.15 can say it this way, and Christ died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Do you hear that phrase? What a radical change. No longer live for yourself, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. You see the radical change, the decisive change in terms of the whole orientation of our lives. Now it's no longer about me. Now it's about my Lord. How can I live for Him? How can I please Him? We who used to be enemies of God are now willing servants of God, even children of God, with the power of sin decisively broken in our lives. Maybe I should use a Super Bowl analogy since it's Super Bowl Sunday and I can't resist. Think of it in terms of the Patriots season this year. You know, from what I read in here, uh, sports commentators have been saying for the past few weeks that if the Patriots lose, then they'll be the ultimate goats, right? I mean, to go a perfect season the whole way to the end and then lose, that perfect season means nothing then. In in fact, they'll end up being always remembered as the team that choked and couldn't do it. Well, that's a crude analogy, I know. But in a way, that's what it will be like for anyone's life whose life isn't transformed by the power of the cross. In terms of the penalty of sin and the power of sin, anyone who somehow hopes that he or she is good enough in himself or herself, to come out okay somehow with God, to come out okay in the end eternally and before the judgment seat of God. They may not even be sure that there is a God. Anyone who is in that kind of situations, the Bible says that the one who keeps the whole law, it's like having a perfect season, if we could by any chance do that, but offends at just one point, the book of James says, is guilty of breaking the whole law. Do you, do you hear what's being said there? Even if somehow you could do really well, none of us does even that well. None of us even keeps the whole law and only breaks at one point. We all sin every day in word and in thought and in deed And our only hope is in the sinless one. Our only hope is in the power of the cross of Jesus Christ to bear the penalty of sin and to give us a new freedom from the power of sin, a freedom that will be culminated when we see Jesus finally face to face, and then every remnant of sin will be wiped away. Well, how does a person experience the power of the cross then? Our second main point, you may know a lot about Jesus Christ. You may have been raised in the church, and you've heard the gospel preached over and over again, and you know all the Bible stories. But the question I have for you is, have you truly experienced the power of the cross of Jesus Christ in your life? If not, then you are headed in the wrong direction. And in order to experience the power of the cross of life, 
you must have a different view of Christ, and you must trust in Christ. Think about having a different view of the cross of Christ. Maybe you've heard it preached, and it's just kind of gone into your brain, and you've thought about it, or maybe this is all new to you. But in order to come to experience this power, you need to stop thinking like the world thinks about Jesus Christ and His cross, and instead have God's view of it. Our text says in verse 18 that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's, it's foolishness. And then verses 19 to 25 go into this in more depth. It talks about how the Greeks think of wisdom and, and look at wisdom this way and how Jews of that day thought of it and how the cross of Christ is both foolishness and a stumbling block. We're not going to go into that in length here, but the basic point is to the world, to anyone who has a, a natural mindset, who doesn't believe in Christ, to the world, the cross is foolishness. It just doesn't make sense that the idea of a, a peasant in Palestine dying in some out, out backwater place of the Roman Empire, that his death on the cross would have power to save eternally from the punishment of sin and to give new life, and that it's also a stumbling block to have to come to grips with the fact that the cross of Christ means that you and I can contribute nothing to being saved. We cannot save ourselves by being good or being moral or by going to church or being wise in the world's eyes and studying a whole lot or anything like that. No. And in that sense, it's offensive as well. You and I want to have our destiny in our own hands and be able to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. So the wisdom of the world is to try to know God and please Him through your own wisdom. And to experience then the power of the cross, you must have a radical, total change in outlook about the cross. You must begin to see your own state as without hope, and you must be able to say, oh, I see, I'm beginning to grasp that's what the cross is all about. It's no longer foolishness to me. In Jane Austen's well-loved book, Pride and Prejudice, the main character, Elizabeth Bennet, at first believes that this young man, Mr. Darcy, is essentially arrogant, proud, and self-centered. And so, when Mr. Darcy asks Elizabeth to marry him, she very emphatically tells him, no, And, uh, you know, she doesn't want anything to do with him. But then as the plot of the story unfolds, she begins to realize that she had a completely wrong understanding of this man. She had misinterpreted various events. She had gotten only one side of the story. And to make a long story short, of course, she comes to a radically different view of Mr. Darcy. Now she respects him. Now she admires him. Now she finds she is deeply in love with him. And, you know, is he going to, mar- to ask her again? Is she going to miss out on the man of her dreams? If you don't already know, you could probably guess the end of the story. But my point is that this is a good example of a total change of view. She has a radical change in the way she looks at this man, resulting in this altogether new love and trust of him. And so it is with coming to experience the power of the cross. You must have a radical change in your understanding of what the cross was all about, of who Jesus Christ is and what He did. 
And then as you come to have a right understanding of that, you must actively put your whole trust in Jesus Christ to save you from the penalty and the power of sin. Verse 21 says it's for those who believe. That refrain occurs over and over again. We enter by believing. We stop relying on our own performance. We see the cross and what Jesus did and His life for us as the basis for our acceptance with God. And we continue to look, for the, look to the cross and the power of our risen Lord for power to be transformed day by day. And that is how we enter in, and that is how we continue to walk in the power of the cross. Let me use an example taken from the situation that we face in the world with terrorists who blow themselves up in seeking to uh, destroy the infidel West. What if a terrorist were captured in Iraq who already had done harm to civilians or our troop there and was taken to Guantanamo base and Camp X-Ray and confined there and, you know, was interviewed and uh, interrogated and so forth. And, and then a psychologist came down from the United States and said, I want to meet with this man. Give me one day with him, and I want to see if I can convince him to have a change in heart. And the psychologist met with him and talked with him, and the authorities down there said, okay, we'll let you do this. What if after meeting with that terrorist, the terrorist came out and said, you know, I've had a complete change of heart. I now respect the West. I respect Americans. I'm not going to blow up anybody. Of course, they certainly would doubt that this was real. But let's say that it showed itself to be true over a period of time with real evidence. And then this psychologist went down in another case like that. Another terrorist totally changed. I mean, he'd have to come back and write the blockbuster book, right, that make a million dollars for that. But Everybody would be asking, what did he do to change that person's heart and mind? Well, that's not going to occur, I don't think, in that way. But that is an example, even though it's a dim one, of what Jesus Christ does through the power of the cross. Changes people from the inside out. Gives them peace with God so that we no longer have the penalty of sin hanging over our heads. And actually reorients our hearts so that now we want to love God, we want to obey Him, we want to trust in Him, we want to walk with Him, we want to do His will. We who were once enemies of God, the Bible says whoever is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. We don't usually think of it that way. We just, you know, go about business and do the things that we do in the world and pretty much love the world. And the Bible says if you love the world, you're an enemy of God. We might even say you're a terrorist, naturally in terms of the kingdom of Christ. And God takes enemies, and out of His love for us in Christ, He makes us new creations, and He gives us a heart for Him. That's the power of the cross of Christ. What would it be like to live on this earth without the power of the sun? Well, it doesn't take a nuclear scientist to be able to know that we would be doomed. But what about trying to live life apart from the power of the Son of God. Maybe you've been trying to do that, trying to live life in your own power, hoping that somehow everything will end up okay if there is a God and if there is eternity and if there is eternal life, hoping that it'll work out okay for you if you just kind of try your best. I hope that what we've seen this morning will cause you to come to grips with your need for Jesus Christ, with the emptiness and ultimate 
ultimately the spiritual death for everyone who is apart from Him, and that you will enter into life and joy and eternal fellowship with God through the power of Jesus Christ and His cross. Let us pray. Father, we are humbled by Your Word as we think about the fact that we could not save ourselves, but we are lifted up when we realize that You have loved us with an everlasting love and that You've shown that love and You've brought it to completion in sending Jesus Christ to do what He did that we might have life. Pray that if there's anyone here this morning who is wrestling with these things, who, who may not know You, that You would bring him or bring her to truly trust Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord, and to enter into that power that you give. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.